You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you? and not against you. With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Hi, it's Wes Kosova. We're taking a break today for the holiday. Here's one of our favorite episodes that you might have missed. And for an update on what's happening with these farm protests, check out the link in the show notes. We'll be back on Monday with a new Big Take. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. It's the Big Take from Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio. I'm Wes Kosova. Today, farmers are protesting rules that order them to slash emissions. Not from their tractors, from their cows. Our insatiable appetite for meat, eggs, and cheese means there are billions of chickens and pigs and cows the world over. Animal agriculture is a leading contributor to greenhouse gas emissions and pollutants like ammonia and nitrogen. In Europe, governments are starting to crack down. They're demanding farms dramatically cut the size of their herds to meet environmental goals. That could force thousands of farmers out of business. One place where anger over this issue is spilled over is the Netherlands, where political tensions are so high it threatens to overturn the government. So if you end up in a situation that force will be necessary, it's quite possible that there will be a big crisis within the Dutch government that could even topple it. To describe what's happening, Bloomberg reporter Dietrich Bazil joins me now from Amsterdam. Dietrich Bazil, thanks so much for being here. Hi, Wes. Thanks for having me. So you've been covering this conflict between dairy farmers in the Netherlands and the government. Can you just give us sort of a lay of the land of exactly what's happening there? If it's okay, I would like to start with asking you a question, actually. Sure. The Netherlands has about 17 million people. But I was wondering, do you know how many chickens we have in this country? How many chickens? You know, I'll tell you right away, I have no idea how many chickens there are in the Netherlands. Now we have... 100 million chickens in the Netherlands. And on top of that, we have 11 million pigs and another 4 million cows. And that makes Netherlands the country with the highest density of farm animals in the whole of Europe. And yeah, that creates all kinds of problems, including the nitrogen crisis we're discussing today. One risk is the amount of nitrogen that is emitted. But another risk is what we've seen with Corona, when a lot of people and a lot of animals are together on a small piece of land, chances are that diseases are going to jump from animals to humans. 
So we have this situation where nitrogen, other pollutants are building up. The government is trying to meet climate pledges and looking to dairy farmers and other farmers to help with that by ordering them to reduce the emissions. Yeah, so what happened is this has been an issue for a couple of years in the Netherlands. But back in June, the government announced a target to uh, reduce their nitrogen emittance. And the target was to reduce it by 50% in 2030. When they presented this target, they also presented a, a map of the Netherlands. And uh, that map included the nature areas in the country, and we have, we have several. And surrounding those nature areas, often the nitrogen had to be diminished by up to 90%. And that basically means that all farms that operate there have to close down. So that map and that target of 50% caused a lot of commotion uh, in the country. And, and since we have seen uh, yeah, strikes from, uh, for farmers for a couple of months now, and they have been blocking the streets, they have been going to the house of the minister to protest there, starting fires on the highway, that kind of stuff. Well, you could see why farmers would be so alarmed by this, because they're essentially saying we're going to be putting a certain number of people out of business who may have been farming for generations. Did they prepare farmers at all for this, or was this something that was announced out of the blue? There are two sides to the story. Like always, I think one side is that these farmers, for years, and especially also the big companies behind those farmers, they have been polluting Dutch nature and making money out of it. And the other side of the story is that political parties that are still in power today in the Netherlands have told those farmers for years that if they scale up, if they become bigger, and if they invest a bit in innovation, everything will be okay and all, everything will be fine. And yeah, that's not the way it is. The, the problem is just way more structural. Politicians just haven't been brave enough to tell the, the honest story to the farmers. And now they, they don't have a choice anymore and uh, the farmers feel uh, betrayed. Can you describe some of the protests that happened over the summer? Because some of them were quite large and pretty dramatic. Yeah, so the thing is, farmers, they have tractors. So if you have a tractor, you can do a lot of things. They drove the tractors to parliament. They, they use them to block the highway. They use them to go to the house of the minister. And straight away, when you have a tractor, you basically have a weapon. It's difficult for the police to do something about it when a road is blocked with tractors. And they have been doing this for, for the past months, even uh, caused the Minister of Agriculture to step down. And we, uh, we have a new one, now, new one since a couple of weeks. And we also have a Minister of Nitrogen, the first one ever uh, in the history of the Netherlands and I think the world, to be honest. This is fascinating. A Minister of Nitrogen, what does that person do? Yes, yeah, so the, the Netherlands has, I think it's the first country in the world to have a, a, a Minister of Nitrogen. Her name is Christiane van der Waal. And yeah, she basically is the minister of bad news because she, her only task is to make sure that the target of 50% reduction by 2030, that it's going to happen. And that's a terrible, uh, terrible mission, I guess, because there's only bad news you can tell farmers because they have to close down their farms. They have to uh, stop the business they have been running for several generations. What is it that the farmers are demanding? They see the government's solution as being pretty severe. What is it they're coming back with in demanding or asking for? So the challenge of the government is to live up to their target and at the same time provide a future for, for farming in the Netherlands. And that is, that is a big challenge because the only way to reach this target is for farmers to close down. Not all, of course, but a, a big portion will have to quit their business. And these farmers are requesting basically either come with a decent way to, to buy us out with a lot of money 
or give us other ways to continue our business, what we have been doing for generations and give us a roadmap, what is allowed, what is possible. And that's also uh, something that has been lacking up to this moment. It's unclear what farming is acceptable for the Netherlands uh, within the targets they want to reach, basically. So they want, they want clarity. If these farms are forced to shut down, if others have to cut their herds in half or more in order to meet the requirements and somehow still stay in business, where will the milk, the meat, the cheese, everything else that those farms are now producing come from? Because I guess the assumption is that the demand for those products isn't going to drop. They'll just have to come from someplace else. What farmers have been saying is, yeah, we're feeding the Netherlands. So what are you doing to us? That is true, but also not entirely true, because I think about 70% of what is produced in the Netherlands is, is for export. The Netherlands is the second biggest exporter in the world when it comes to agricultural products. If they will have to uh, minimize their their output, then someone else in, in the world has an opportunity to, uh, to fill the gap, basically. What would that mean for the economy of the Netherlands to lose those exports? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting question because the, the strange thing is that we're the second biggest exporter of agriculture products in the world, but there's some important context there. Because if you look at how big part it is of the Dutch GDP, it's only 1.4%. Like it's not nothing, but it's also not very, uh, it's not also not major. One element is important here is that those numbers of exporting uh, products are inflated a little bit because of what we call the Rotterdam effect. In Rotterdam, a city in the Netherlands, we have the port of Rotterdam, which is the biggest of Europe. And a lot of products that are produced in the heartlands of Europe are shipped to the rest of the world via Rotterdam. And often they, those products end up on the balance sheet of, of Dutch export. By the end, it's, it's not that big of a deal for the Dutch economy. It will hurt, but I don't think that will be the biggest problem. One interesting thing about the Netherlands is how progressive a lot of the agriculture is. There's, you know, enormous fields of, kind of greenhouses where lettuce, tomatoes, other things are grown. And yet we have on the other side this traditional agriculture, which is very polluting. Is there conflict between those two different sort of visions of farming and agriculture in the country? This is an argument of those same farms in Netherlands. They say, like, look, we're the most innovative farmers in the world. Why, if you're going to close down farms, why will you close down our farms? And I think if there is a future for the Dutch agriculture sector, it lies in the innovation. We have the, the Wageningen University, which is uh, at the forefront of research when it comes to agriculture. So I think the Netherlands will still be able to make a lot of money with this innovation, but perhaps they shouldn't produce everything themselves in their own country. So tensions are really high still between farmers and the government. How do you see this playing out? What is the solution? Obviously, some politicians are going to want to be responsive to farmers who vote, and yet they have to balance that against the requirements of climate change. Where do you see this heading? In June, the, the target was presented of, of a 50% reduction by 2030, and only last week, the government presented a buyout plan. What does that mean? It means that as a farmer, you can say, hi, government, please buy my farm in a way to reach the target. And not all details are known at the moment, but what it seems to be is that they're going to offer 120% of the current market value of their company, of their lands. How are farmers responding to the buyout plan? Are they signing up? Do you think that many of them will take this deal? 
mixed signals from the farmers. Some are very happy. There's also quite some farmers that already wanted to quit their business and are just waiting for a good offer, basically. But you also have those big farms, which are just making lots of money producing their products. And those are also the big polluters. And if they continue their business, they can make way more money than if they would sell it today. I think those are the essential farms are not not that keen to uh, go along with the split. The hopes of the government and the, the political parties at the moment is that this voluntary buyout plan will do the trick. And if it doesn't, then you at some point have to get to a place where you, you're going to use force. And that is a, a bridge many political parties don't want to cross at this moment. Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte did say that it could happen at some point that you need force. When you say force, you mean going in and actually shutting down the farms? That would be a very extreme move. Yeah, that would be a very extreme move. But if you if you listen to the specialists, it's, it's quite likely. Because it's not the case that if half of the farmers will quit that you reach the target of 50%. It's also specific farms that are close to a very vulnerable nature reserves. Those farms have to close down. And if those farms decide not to, then force will be necessary. And the Dutch government currently consists out of uh, four parties. It's a coalition uh, government. And at least one party is very much opposed to using force because many of their voters uh, are farmers. So if you end up in a situation that force will be necessary, it's quite possible that there will be a big crisis within the Dutch government that could even topple it. And who knows what will happen uh, after that. It's a very sensitive topic and it will, it will stay difficult for quite some time. Diedrich Brazil, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, uh, Wes, for having me. It was a pleasant uh, occasion. It's not just the Netherlands where this political and economic battle over agriculture is playing out. More on that when we return. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The tensions we're seeing in the Netherlands are also playing out in other countries around the world. To talk about that, Agnieszka de Souza joins me from London. She is a food reporter and also known affectionately as Bloomberg's Food Czar. Aggie, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Wes. Aggie, when we talk about the biggest pollutants, it's often oil or coal. But as we just heard from Dietrich, the Netherlands is zeroing in on agriculture pollutants. And in your own reporting, you describe how other countries in Europe and around the world are also targeting agriculture. Why is this happening now? Farming and agriculture is still relatively little understood driver of climate change. There's more effort and more understanding. I think the public opinion is changing. When it comes to impact of farming on the environment, it's actually pretty big. Agriculture itself accounts for a quarter of global greenhouse gas emissions, growing your food, but then also transporting the food all the way to retailers. That actually accounts for about a third of global greenhouse gas emissions. So it's actually substantial. 
and, and just looking at livestock, livestock is a major driver of emissions, of the land usage, of water consumption, of so many different aspects. And cleaning up agriculture cannot happen without tackling the environmental footprint of livestock. And what exactly is it about livestock that is so polluting? The environmental footprint of livestock is so multidimensional. First and foremost, I think the most important thing when it comes to livestock is the fact that livestock emit methane. It's a really powerful gas and livestock is actually a major source of methane emissions. This happens through a so-called enteric fermentation. It basically means that the digestive system of cattle, of sheep, causes microbes inside stomachs of, of, of animals to actually release methane. They're gassy. They're gassy animals. <laughs> they're gassy. They're gassy. So they burp out. They burp out methane. Their manure, their urine pollutes soil, you know, is a source of nitrogen oxide. That's another polluting factor. And, and on top of it, they eat a lot of crops. So you need to actually use so much more land in order to grow a crop for them. The manure management is not there yet. More needs to be done in order to figure out the way to store the manure, but actually convert it into biomass, convert it into energy. I wanted to ask you now about the political pressure that is building in a lot of countries, especially in Europe, when it comes to governments trying to cut their greenhouse gas emissions and are now looking at farmers to do that. What is happening is that after many, many, many years of seeing a lot of focus on fossil fuels, it seems like there is more attention right now on farming. In general, what we're seeing is that more governments around the world are introducing, are uh, furthering policies that are focused on agriculture and actually making agriculture more sustainable and trying to address emissions from livestock. Certainly more should be done, but there are signs that they are moving in that direction. We've had so far, I think, at least 150 countries signing up to the methane pledge. The methane pledge was a major push at Glasgow at COP26. That was last year's COP conference. Since then, so many more countries have joined that pledge. So at least 150 countries have pledged to cut methane emissions by 30% by the end of the decade. This is a very general pledge. So it includes all sorts of sectors and particularly there's been a focus on oil and gas. There is an understanding that in some countries, agriculture will need to be tackled. There are some countries where livestock emissions and agricultural emissions account for a large share of the total country footprint. So, for example, take New Zealand. Half of New Zealand carbon emissions come from agriculture. That is a very big chunk of emissions. So what's going to happen is that countries will have to determine how they're going to cut their methane emissions. So if, if there are countries that were Agriculture is a huge part of the problem. They will need to tackle it. And we're all already seeing some of those big producers trying to and in, introducing targets for farming. How have they responded to these restrictions that the government is trying to impose? 
So it depends on the country, but generally farmers are nervous. In some instances, they feel they are being singled out unfairly. Sometimes they can feel confused as to actually what's going to happen. I think in several countries, like for example, in New Zealand, in the Netherlands, when it comes to actually nitrogen emissions and nitrogen reduction plan, farmers know and have been, it's quite clear that farmers will need to reduce their herd size. And they feel that that will lead to the loss of business, the loss of profitability. They will have to change the way they've been doing things. And they feel the change is coming, but it's also, you know, that they're producing food. You have to put yourself in the shoes of those farmers. They've been farmers their entire lifetime. Maybe they grew up in a farming family, you know, they've been farming for generations. Suddenly, they need to change this. Suddenly, a government policy, a government measure tells them, well, it's time, you know, you're going to have to cut back on your herds. You might actually have to shut down your business. Go and move to the city, do something else. In a way, it feels like they're going to have to be uprooted. And it's, it's a huge confusion as well as to huge uncertainty, huge confusion, feeling of uh, the lack of appreciation of for what they do. They essentially feel under siege, under siege from a government, under siege from vegans, suddenly telling everyone, eat less meat. It's a lot on, to take on. At the same time, you know, they're told to cut back on pesticides, cut back on fertilizers. You're going to have to be taxed more. So suddenly, there's just a lot to take on. The world is changing. At the same time, they're being affected by the consequences, by the climate change itself. We've had years of drought. We've had extreme weather. And that's affecting their crops. It's affecting their livestock. And so they're, in a way, they're pummeled. They're, you know, being struck from both sides. And they've been protesting some of them. Is that right? I mean, kind of very dramatic protests to show politicians how they're feeling? Yes. And 2022 feels has been a, a year of protests, farmer protests, at least in Europe. What is quite unique about 2022 is first and foremost, what we saw earlier this year is the fact that the energy and fertilizer costs are on the rise. That's squeezing farmer margins. At the same time, they don't feel they're being paid enough for the food they produce. And then it's the climate policies that come in. As governments introduce them, it feels like climate policies are becoming one more sticking topic factor when it comes to the farmer discontent. It's a relatively new thing and we expect to see more of it. We see a lot of politicians sort of jumping on this uh, bandwagon against green policies in order to curry favor with farmers. There are millions of farmers out there, and very often they're a strong electorate. That's, uh, politicians have to count with them. They need to respond to their needs because they know that they may lose votes. They also have, in several countries, they, the lobbying is strong. In a way, you could argue that that may be something that could put brakes on the introduction of climate policies on time and at scale. And it feels like governments are really weighing it carefully. The sentiment that farmers are feeling actually has been, to an extent, co-opted by right-wing groups, by a movement opposing vaccinations and COVID restrictions. 
We even saw former U.S. President Donald Trump speaking out on the issue of farmers and on protests. And he, he did say that farmers in the Netherlands, of all places, are courageously opposing the climate tyranny of the Dutch government. As we speak, farmers in the Netherlands, of all places, are courageously opposing the climate tyranny of the Dutch government. Can you believe this? We do see this argument being furthered by conspiracy theorists, by extreme right as well, that climate policies will lead to a reduction of uh, food supplies, that it may actually cause shortages, if not famine. You know, you see farmers repeating that argument as well. It does appeal to primordial fears in a way. I mean, we're all concerned about food and people are struggling with food inflation, with the cost of living crisis. To actually see that, wow, you know, my food bill is going to go up even more if my government actually introduces climate policy and we're going to produce less food and the prices are going to go up. I mean, that really appeals to people's fears. We need to pay attention to the populist argument. It's such an easy argument to make, you know. There's that hashtag, there are social media hashtags out there, no farmers, no food. Farmers are using that hashtag, but anti-vaxxers are using that hashtag and we're seeing it. You know, from what I read as well in terms of their claims, they're very, very simplistic and they're just very, it's so much more complicated than that, but it's, it's very catchy. When we come back, What if anything can be done to fix this mess? What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Aggie, you've spelled out how big a problem this is, and we've heard the very dramatic example from the Netherlands of how deeply people feel about this. And so I guess all that raises the question of what can be done about this? What is the solution here? Tackling pollution from agriculture and making agriculture farming and the food systems more sustainable is a multidimensional problem. When it comes to nitrogen, better manure management, trying to find ways of converting manure into sources of energy. When we look at methane emissions, there are new solutions coming up. For example, feed supplements that are supposed to reduce the work of microbes responsible for those emissions. In other words, make them less gassy. Yes, make them (laughs) less gassy. However, These solutions are still at early stages and there's no silver bullet for cutting those emissions altogether. It has to be a holistic approach. From an economic perspective, if these regulations go into effect and dairy farmers have to cut the size of their herds, that in itself will reduce emissions. I guess what then happens is dairy products of all kinds, the prices rise and that decreases demand because really aren't we looking at a problem that people want this? People want milk, they want cheese, they want meat. And as long as there's a demand for it, people are going to want to produce it. And then it becomes just a matter of how much does it cost? 
currently, we still produce more food than we consume. What needs to change is actually redistribution of food. The fact that we waste so much food, about a third of food produced around the world is, is being wasted or lost at the harvest level. So this is beyond livestock, but I think it's a very important point. If we were to, in theory, reduce food waste, we would end up getting more food. So I think, you know, we could speculate on what it will do to prices, but none of those climate policies need to be kind of taken in isolation. There's a variety of solutions. There's a variety of policies that can be implemented. So reducing food waste would be one of them. Coming up with alternative proteins. Yes, we do need to acknowledge, and you're absolutely right, people want to eat that stuff. People like cheese. They, they love cheese, you know, and, and they, they like their steak. So, yes, there should be a push towards healthier, more sustainable diets, encouraging people to cut back on meat, especially in the developed world. But at the same time, we need to come up with solutions come up with new alternative sources of protein. And those are being developed right now. Precision fermentation is really capturing attention. So producing cow-free milk or cheese or protein. And all these things are you know, kind of new and in development, and it's a long process to get people to accept them over time. And until then, you have a lot of these farmers who are pretty angry. I suppose it's not that different from other industries that change over time. The question is, how do you engage farmers? How do you actually bring them on board in order to support that transition in agriculture? New industries and new food sources will require, will still require agriculture, will still require farmers to actually produce for them. I think the role of governments is to, and policymakers, is to figure out the ways of bringing farmers on, on board so that they become part of those solutions as well. So the process in, when it comes to climate policies, supporting new sources of food needs to be inclusive of farmers. This is something that climate policymakers need to be thinking about. One place we haven't talked about is one of the world's biggest agriculture, biggest livestock market, which is the U.S., also one of the biggest emitters of agricultural pollutants. And yet we haven't seen these kinds of protests in the U.S. Yes, it's, it's, it's quite interesting what is happening in the U.S. There have been voices out of the U.S. looking to Dutch farmers as an example of why governments shouldn't get involved. But at the same time, when we look at the U.S. climate policies as well and what they want to do with livestock, we haven't really seen much action. That the U.S. isn't really cracking down on farmers in a way that these other countries are. Yeah, that's right. So we haven't seen a push to reduce, for example, demand for meat. We haven't seen a push to slash emissions from livestock the same way as we see in other producing powerhouses. But at the same time, we do have some positive examples of where farmers can get involved. And one such example is actually regenerative agriculture. It's where the U.S. arguably is leading the way. And what is that? What is regenerative agriculture? So it's basically involving farmers in carbon trading Farmers can earn carbon credits, essentially, so they can actually earn money for their sustainable practices. 
So there's incentives for farmers to do things better. So there are, incent- there are financial incentives for farmers to do things better, and that's still a nascent uh, market. But we are seeing more and more companies trying to support those practices as well and support the farmers who supply to them. And we're seeing more farmers actually getting involved. It's an example of farmers actually being on board the sustainability ship. Agnieszka D'Souza, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. You can read more of Agnieszka D'Souza's and Dietrich Basile's reporting at Bloomberg.com. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Federica Romaniello is our producer. Our associate producer is Zeneb Siddiqui. Rafael Amsili is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back on Monday with another Big Take. Have a great weekend. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.